so um, I guess we're in a place where we can t start talking about strategies, right? Yeah. Like what strategies are in place for young people coming to campus that would, particularly those of marginalized identities, um, that would be able to feel comfortable to live and study on campus without being um, without experiencing confrontation from mm -hmm. the police or uh, campus safety officers and you know I think that's about your campus culture mm -hmm. um, and and I do think that in that regard um, you should remember that unless you're at a state institution, um, these are private places. The tone um, is always set by your administrators. Um, I think that if you are talking about kind of your campus safety, your res life staff, the people who typically respond to conduct, that is very much about training, cross-training, making sure that you don't have campus safety officers who really only know how to respond to, you know, emergency situations mm -hmm. or how to act in a punitive manner. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, if you're on a college campus um, and this is your population, you got to have some training around that. Um, I've been very fortunate in that the institutions that I've worked at, um, I oftentimes see our res life staff and our campus safety staff being cross-trained and trained together, especially when it comes to responding to students' incidents or um, the workshops and trainings that they offer around student support, um, mental health concerns, mm -hmm. how to address and support students with mental health concerns. Right. So the other leg of that is your counseling and wellness center. So if you talk about your strategies, there are really, to me, oh, four offices that you should see a lot of cross-training with. Mm -hmm. Counseling and wellness, your Title IX and D&I, if they're together, or D&I, sorry, meaning diversity and inclusion, or if they're mm -hmm. separate, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Again, your campus safety and your res life staff or your conduct staff. Okay. Um, once you start putting all of those people into a room together and they've all had the same Cleary training, they've all had the same Title IX response training, they've mm -hmm. all had responses around, I'm sorry, they've all had training around trauma-informed responses. I cannot say that word enough. Trauma-informed responses. Someone has been traumatized. You are there as the person who responds to it. Mm -hmm. Are you approaching this individual in a manner that helps them feel comfortable, mm -hmm. that helps them feel safe, and lets them know, hey, listen, no matter where we're going from here, right here in this moment, I'm going to address your needs. Right. Yeah, yeah. that is the overarching strategy. Individual yeah. strategies, again, um, ongoing education, not just the one and done. Um, take your support staff. So, yes, again, um, counseling and wellness, um, mm -hmm. your program chairs. Mm -hmm. Why do I like program chairs and deans and folks like that? Because they're over their departments when you talk about classroom experiences mm -hmm. and provide all of them with online programs with um, the webinars. If you are in HR administration world, um, your inbox is flooded mm. <laughs> with training programs. Um, if and when you can get resources, if you can get multiple departments to purchase those, right. have people come on campus. Um, whenever I purchase a DVD training program, um, I will try to let HR know right. so that any department or faculty group can pull it up and say, hey, listen, we want to see this again. So your strategies need to be one of, this is the cultural tone that we're going to set when it comes to addressing students. This is how we address student conduct no matter what. Um, 
But then two, back it up by having multiple opportunities for your staff to come together and train and learn. Okay. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, actually, you mentioned trauma. I was going to talk, ask a question (laughs) about that. So you, you segued into it. So what is it you would like to say to students who have experienced trauma as a result of a hate crime or a dis- discriminatory incident mm-hmm. on campus as an administrator and what resources are in place for them? What I would like to say is regardless of what you see on your end, you know, um, is to continue reporting. There are a couple of different reasons why. Um, one, it does help build the record. Um, you never know what administrators are tracking or monitoring and possibly coming up with strategies around concerns. Again, um, it's simply not appropriate for administrators to come out and say, oh, yeah, listen, this is great because in the last five years, you know, I've heard, but so-and-so in this department and, you know, again, you're now talking about an employee record. Right. Um, but we know that. And if it's being reported properly up through the pike, you'll have a record that allows the institution to be best positioned to go ahead and address it. Um, The other thing is that it does put the campus on notice. If you have a campus that for whatever reason is not responsive um, or or simply um, isn't aware of how to respond or what to do, um, if you're constantly being told, hey, this is a problem, most administrators in higher ed um, will start to seek out those resources. You know, you'll start to see action or movement on the administrator saying, listen, come on, <laughs> we got to get some resources here. I got to go to my general counsel or, mm-hmm. you know, we're part of these professional groups. Let me look at United Educators and see what they say around this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it puts the campus on notice. As far as their resources, um, because it's not a student or a staff member or faculty member's job um, to run the campus, um, but it is important to have the information um, I think as far as what resources are in place and, and what we want them to know is that um, I don't see, in my experience, too many administrators sitting around being callous or laughing or, or, or you know, finding humor in this. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us in higher education are here because this is the work we want to do. We have to educate ourselves, you know. We have right. to go, oh, okay, right. wow, students are doing this or staff are doing that. right. Let's go get some education on that and and then figure out how to address it. Um, So resources that are always in place. Most college campuses, again, have some form of a tell somebody report, Mm -hmm. um, something that they can usually report anonymously Mm -hmm. and say this is what's going on. Um, Two, depending on the state you're in um, and depending on the type of complaint, sometimes things can be reported confidentially and still investigated depending on the circumstances. So again, it varies too much for me to discuss here, Right. but put the institution on notice. It also allows us once again, to go back to an individual who is willing to identify themselves and say, can you not tell anybody else, but this is what's going on Mm -hmm. to help them. Right. Right. So our overall resources are always counseling and wellness online counseling resources, um, community resources that you'll see listed on various university websites. But 
your dean of students. You know, let's not forget, most deans are VPs. So you're talking about a cabinet member. Mm -hmm. Um, You might be surprised at the resources that they have available to them um, to make sure that students are comfortable. People like myself as Title IX coordinators and diversity directors, we oftentimes report directly to presidents or to general counsels. Um, we tend to be pretty high up in our reporting structure. Right. So again, there's usually flex within our offices. Right. As you speak, I was thinking about um, students from marginalized communities who may not necessarily experience a discriminatory incident, Mm -hmm. but are in predominantly white institutions. Mm -hmm. How how do they, how does, I don't know if you're able to answer this, Mm -hmm. but I'm hoping you will at least try. Um, How do you engage students and faculty from marginalized communities um, in in the, uh, you know, predominantly white institutions who are working or or students in the predominantly white institution? How do you engage them? How do you make them feel welcome? Because I'm not talking about a particular incident that Mm -hmm. has happened, but sometimes it may not feel inviting or Does that make sense to you? Yes. So what that is where your programming comes into place. And it can't just be one office. Um, Your HR department should absolutely be working um, with your diversity officer. Um, Your student affairs programming SGA division should be working with that um, with that same person, as well as your counseling and wellness. And I say that because usually those legs have a training and education prevention component. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, look at, depending on what kind of institution you are, if you've got big Greek life on campus, that Greek life advisor should be working with your diversity individual. Um, If you are not big Greek life, but SGA is very strong, um, I I had the pleasure of, at my previous institution, really being able to engage um, student government and Greek life. Um, And this was Mm student-led. You know, I loved it. They were on point. You know, I walked into a room to do training and education and they were seated and ready to go. Um, But when you talk about engaging those groups, why do you do that? It sends the tone. It sets the message. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that when you engage groups that aren't just specifically your ethnic minority affinity groups or things like that, but you are going into Greek life, you are going into SGA, you are going into those faculty committees and saying, listen, I'm going to give you programming and education across the board. Not because it's Black History Month, you know, not because it's Women's History Month. It doesn't matter what month it is. Right. We're going to learn about student engagement. We're going to learn about student resiliency. Mm -hmm. We're going to provide general education, period, about 
these groups about um, first generation, um, about how to explore your own self as a faculty or staff member around cultural competency. I think you need to have that neutral programming. If you establish that base, you can then have things that are very culturally specific. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I'm not opposed to culturally specific programming, but I I don't necessarily um, think it's okay to just have a lot of festivals, right? If you've got all the drums and the food and the music and the bright colored clothing and you've got all that stuff, but then again, yeah. you never did your diversity and inclusion and harassment training so people don't even know what the federal laws are. And then you never did any of that middle programming, again, around student resiliency, how to support students, what those experiences are. Right. Um, you can't be mad at people for having a very shallow understanding of diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I tell yeah. people, I'm like, listen, you can get to the food and the festivals after we cover these basics. We're yeah. going to cover this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's what really helps students feel seen. Um, and, and what does that programming look like? Is it entertainment and fodder for the group that already holds privilege? Or is it reaffirming and supporting for the group that feels marginalized? Mm-hmm. I like to have programs and events that um, really speak to the humanity and the very intimate nature of any marginalized group. And, and my thought process is, is, one, it also shows me where campus is at in terms of does the rest of the campus show up? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so just to kind of sum it up, this might mm-hmm. be um, a, a way of bringing it all together. Um, can you suggest some ways in which people, like college students or faculty, can make a difference in moving the needle um, in terms of um, racial harmony, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. on college campuses. I mean, you've talked a lot about <laughs> some of that already, but just to br- sort of bring it together. I do think, again, it's about noting that while we don't step onto a college campus and all of our experiences fall off of us, good or bad, we bring them with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but that recognizing that... Um, If we want a different experience, if we want to give people a different experience, um, then we have to be a lot more honest about how the rest of the world functions and the experiences that people hold with them. Most people don't get up to college and say, you know what, I think I'd like to be really mean to this group of folks. I never tried this out before, you know, but I'm going to try it now. Mm -mm. They came with that. Mm -hmm. And before, there weren't consequences for it. Um, you know, if you think about, again, this is all being filmed and, and everything you're doing, this work in Connecticut, we have 159 towns in Connecticut. Mm. Didn't know that. We do not have a county system. Mm. We have an individualized municipality system. You have towns in our state with less than 500 people of color from any particular group. Um, you have school districts that are over 80% white. Um, You have a town here where the average salary is $174,000. The average salary in Connecticut is $70,000. So you have people who have come from extremely small places um, and they've gotten to live and work this way. Cigna doesn't live and work that way. Travelers doesn't live and work that way. 
Shipman and Goodwin doesn't live and work that way. If college is really your preparation for a professional life, I think there does need to be the greater onus on this isn't your last hurrah to just act completely debaucherous before you have to go put on a suit and tie. But remember that this is the preparation for the suit and tie. This is the preparation for you going into your professional life. Furthermore, again, these are your future colleagues. You know, you will see these people, especially if you are in the Northeast, again and again and again. Um, Don't act this way. If you wouldn't want a job panel to see you do it, don't do it to your classmates. Don't do it to students under this belief of, well, they're students, what can they do to me? You know, um, I always try to think to myself, what did I give someone to say? You know, when I walk away from interactions or from thinking about going into something, what have I given them to say about me? Yeah, what's your legacy, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And and if what you've given people to say are, are a series of poor jokes, mm-hmm. um, things that you might have to explain or follow up with, then maybe you shouldn't give that, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, give something else. <laughs> yeah. So one thing that just came to mind is mm-hmm. that uh, I think it's the ACLU. Um, mm-hmm. They've been tracking a lot of these hate crimes on campus, and it has grown tremendously. How do we know when these hate groups have come on campus or um, engaged students? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that you would have the answer for that, but I do know that... um, It can be hard on big campuses. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is where word of mouth um, Mm -hmm. comes from. And it is difficult as an administrator, you know, to be sitting on a campus and you're finding out things about your school via mm-hmm. social media mm-hmm. or because someone has taken a picture of something. Right. Um, again, what you try to do is establish strong student rapport, strong faculty and staff rapport. You want to make it known this, and remember I said about setting the cultural mm-hmm. tone, mm-hmm. you want to make it known this is where we stand, this is how we feel about this, without, of course, oppressing free speech. Right. And, and that's always and a that's hard balancing act, right? right? Yeah. Freedom of speech versus, you know, oh gosh, okay, <laughs> you know, I didn't know you were going to say that. Um, but to be aware, if you aren't close with your SGA, with your athletics departments, with your students, um, and you're not allowing them to have leadership roles on campus... Um, they don't know when they see those flyers or when they see something off that they should rip it down and come running to you and going, oh, my God, um, is this allowed or where right. are we going from here? Right. Um, because there are opportunities and times where, you know, as administrators, we could look at something and go, actually, this never got stamped. And on our campus, mm-hmm. you can't post things unless they are stamped. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we even go into the content of it, you know, this is an off-campus group making community postings on private property. Down they come. Right. Um, when you're in a state institution, again, it can be different. But that's what allows your general counsel, as well as your Office of Diversity and Inclusion, to be on notice. And even if they are um, relegated back to freedom of speech, you know, unfortunately we have to let this go through because of freedom of speech. If you're on notice, this goes back to providing support for students who might be affected by that. Um, you always want to make sure that people know that they have a place to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it can be hard. It can be hard. But, um, you know, again, this is the work that we've taken up. Yeah. Um, this is what we do. And I think it's important to not shy away from it. 
um, while also, again, remembering that many institutions, not many institutions, all institutions across the board right now um, are concerned um, about making sure that students are comfortable, but also that you're not possibly setting yourself up for litigation. Like I said, there's nothing worse than knowing that you've got everything lined up. Yes, this violates our policy. Yes, this isn't allowed. We can address it. But because you don't go about it properly or because you violate certain people's rights to confidentiality or private record, all of that work comes undone. Right. Yeah. It's one thing I'd really like people to understand because yeah. that's hard. You know, you're not being quiet or secretive. Yeah. This is a very complicated issue, right? It is. It is. Put it, like, it is so complicated. Like I said, um, there's an insurance company that exists called United Educators, and they do most of the liability coverage for colleges and institutions. They have an entire leg, training wing, conferences, webinars, white papers, support um, around this. Mm. Um, there are. There's the National Association of Diversity Officers of Higher Education. Um, there's NACUA, the National Association of College University Attorneys, mm. um, and all of them offer ongoing training in education around diversity, inclusion, how to set up training programs, um, you know, how to respond to incidences. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we're trying. <laughs> we can't talk about it, but we're trying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Raina White, for coming. Um, we really appreciate you talking to us and helping us helping clarify some of the issues related to hate crimes on campus as it relates to how you support students who are targeted as well as how you keep the balance between free speech and how you provide training and all the things that are necessary that an institution have to do so thank you we really appreciate you being here Thank you for the opportunity. I, I appreciate it. I, I hope all goes well with your podcast. <laughs>